Welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Welcome to the A Cork in the Road podcast. I'm Kelly, and I'm so glad to have you listening to the show today. Thank you so much. I was talking to some people that I met in Atlanta this past weekend who were telling me how much they like the show and specifically calling out episodes and people that have inspired them on their own wine journeys. And that means everything because that's what we do here. We share stories of people who are doing really cool things, connecting the Southeast to the rest of the wine industry. So thank you for telling me that you enjoy listening. It was really cool to meet some podcast listeners this weekend. So thank you so, so much. This week, we zoomed in with a former Atlanta resident, but she is currently out in California. I talk with Erin Mason. She was in Atlanta with Fifth Group Restaurants for 10 years, and she started as a server but then quickly moved into management and beverage programs. But in 2019, she also tells me about the life-changing moment where she decided to just change her life, pack up everything in her car, and she decided to take a leap of faith and start working her first wine harvest. So from some on the floor and in beverage programs, now out in the harvest. And she didn't know exactly what that would lead to, but she's been out in California ever since. And now she's at a place called Piscina's Ranch in California, just south of Hollister. It's a place where they are studying diversity of wildlife, looking at regenerative farming and healthy ecosystems. So she's bringing a love of that work into her synergistic love of the wine industry. And at the end of the episode, I get a little sneak peek into what she's hoping to do with all the knowledge that she's gaining along the way and applying it back into the wine industry. So thank you, Erin, for being on the show. She was sitting outside at the ranch while we chatted. It was so great to connect. We have a lot of common friends here in Atlanta, and she still thinks very highly of working in the restaurant scene in Atlanta. So cheers to Erin. Thank you for being on the show. We've got a little bit of news from A Cork in the Road LLC. Just announced a new partnership, a new role with Rossnell Vineyards as a Southeast wine educator for this small production wine brand. They're going to be sponsoring an episode each month of the podcast, so I'll let you know when that happens, but also being able to reach back into my wine production roots and teach about small production wines here in the Southeast and connect people to the beauty of Sonoma is what I love to do. So I'm looking forward to this role and the small but mighty team that I've just joined as a part-time Southeast educator. You can find out about all of the events coming up, including our virtual rosé tasting. When the podcast goes live this week on May 4th, on that Wednesday, there will only be two more days to order for a personalized tasting kit that will arrive at your doorstep filled with rosé samples, and then you can hop on a live virtual tasting with me, Telesam, and our friends at Bushnography who are supplying these custom kits. That is all happening on May 14th. So go to www.acorkintheroad.com for all of the information. And you can always reach out to us at A Cork in the Road on Instagram and Twitter. Look forward to your thoughts about today's episode and that so many people are going to get to know Aaron's story. So cheers to all of you, and I will talk to you next week. Thank you so-
so much, Erin, for hopping on the chat across time zones. <laughs> and you have never done a podcast before. No, my first time. Well, I don't think we've actually ever met in person either. So you are really out of your comfort zone for this, <laughs> talking with a stranger online. But we have a ton of friends in common. And that's, that's because you worked in Atlanta for more than 10 years. Is that right? Yes. Well, I was in Atlanta uh, altogether for about 12 years, but in the hospitality industry and restaurants, it was it was 10 years. That's why we know a lot of the same people. I still feel like you're part of the core. Sometimes I even get excited because there's someone I didn't know that knows you and then they mention you and it's like the layers just keep happening. So I'm very lucky to have you on the show today. What was your favorite part about working in Atlanta? We'll start there and then we'll kind of get to where you are, but that's how I found you is your work in Atlanta. So what did you like doing with the restaurant group? What was the best part? I think for me, Atlanta was kind of an exciting period of time. There was just so much change happening. Um, I moved to Atlanta in 2008 and left in 2019. Um, so the way that the restaurant industry evolved in that time frame was really kind of amazing. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to learn a ton from a lot of different people. And as far as, you know, the restaurant group, in general, I started there as a server in 2010. And when I left, been not quite a year into um, opening and running the full beverage program at Echo Buckhead. So that that leap was somewhat gradual, but I learned an immense amount of information and uh, I learned a lot about life <laughs> in general um, in that time frame. So, uh, and, you know... Um, other than that, I did, you know, I really did make a home in Atlanta. I have still incredible friends there and still consider um, in many ways for that to be home. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a good time. Atlanta grabs you like that. It keeps you, even if you move away, like there's always some tie back, which it's just like that. Yeah. It'll always be with you. I honestly can't say that I was like in love with Atlanta when I left, but being gone has given me a different appreciation for it, for sure. Well, given what you were doing here, it's not easy work either. So if you were working from all of that transition from server to then beverage management and all of that, that is not an easy hourly job. So you were working really hard here. It was probably a tough balance. Yeah, I was working really hard when I was in Atlanta. But you you got to a point, so starting at the serving role, which I think a lot of people get started in food and beverage with that experience, you know, hopping into some sort of restaurant service level and seeing if that continues an interest in learning more. And it did for you. And you got to a point where you had autonomy over a beverage program. And that's a really big deal. So what were some of your goals when you were with Echo? It was Echo Buckhead, I believe. Yeah. When you were there, what were some of the goals when you were given the reins to the beverage program? Um, I think some of the goals for me was to see, I mean, I knew that I had wine knowledge and I knew that I had spirits knowledge. Um, at that point, I felt like I had developed into a better manager as well. A lot of my goal was to see how well I could bring a team around a program and like get them to buy in and get them to understand what it was about and, you know, feel, feel successful in being a part of that program. In my previous roles as beverage manager with Fifth Group, 
it was really more of taking kind of an existing program and just helping it thrive and making sure that it was stable. Um, in terms of developing one, creating the voice was obviously a goal for that around, you know, a European, more Mediterranean concept, but I was really focused on training and how do I take a team of people who are going to have all kinds of different skill sets, all kinds of different exposure to wine and spirits and some not very much at all. And how do I take that training material and get everybody in the same place <laughs> and give everybody the same tools for success and help them understand. Cause I mean, we are, you know, fifth group was really great at training. And so it wasn't just, you know, here's the wine list and here are the cocktails. It was a deep dive into gin, into aperitifs, into different wine regions, into wine service. So for me, my goal was to really get comfortable in that role and helping people kind of approach beverage as a whole. That's a business side of it that people don't always think about when it's like the skill of beverages and knowing wine. That's one side of it. But when you're in that type of role, it is managing people and it is a business perspective. It's training, it's professional development, it's all of that. That's such a valuable experience going forward. Uh, yes. And it, it, and it continues to be for me. You also manage something else pretty unique though at that restaurant. And I think it probably has a lot to do of a trajectory where you are now, but I know they had a rooftop garden there. That was actually started at the Echo in Midtown. And I'm not sure when they started that garden. It started under the original chef's um, uh, time there. And I had started with Fifth Group in 2010. And in 2012, I took a pretty extensive trip through Europe with my, my now ex-husband and we were doing a lot of woofing, um, and hold on, wait, that's an acronym. <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> woofing. Um, Tell me about this. Worldwide organization of organic farming. Um, and it's kind of a work trade scenario. It is international, um, where you, um, for room and board, essentially, uh, you exchange labor on organic farms. And so we did that and I, uh, it definitely, opened some doors for me in terms of interests. And I had wanted to actually pursue that full-time. Um, and that didn't happen for various reasons. One thing that is pretty clear for a lot of people in agriculture, and it, be, it's, it can be a challenge, is that um, if you have a partner, your partner really needs to be all in and really honestly kind of on the same trajectory because it takes so much work. If you don't have a partner, it can be very challenging to nurtured that side of your life. But all that said and done, um, I knew that Echo had a rooftop garden and I knew that I was going to return to fifth group. And the garden at that point was a little bit forgotten about. And so I had approached the owners about letting me take over managing. Uh, so I worked with Farmer D Organics in Decatur. We renovated all the beds. Really fun. I loved it. Um, it was a lot of work and there was a point at which I had to kind of decide on a trajectory. I had been offered, once I got back to fifth group, I was offered introductory roles into management. I, as I went down that road, it happened very quickly. I think probably within maybe six to eight months of doing that, I was working as a full-time manager at South City Kitchen Midtown. And within four months of doing that, I was taking over the beverage program. So it kind of became a choice at that point as to what I was going to spend my time doing. Um, and so I turned over the garden 
to the next person. So. But you have that skill and it's like a secret weapon pocketed for the future. That's how I feel that that happens. You don't always know yeah. when it's going to come back to you, but you had that experience. And I know then you kind of dove full in to the wine program and the beverage side. So what made you start studying wine more formally? Because taking an exam or getting a certification like CMS, like you did, how did that help you at that phase of your wine journey? Well, I think part of it is, you know, we all seek a little validation from somewhere. And I felt like I needed some sort of credential for myself. And also, once you start on that track, you really, I needed to ramp up my wine knowledge and I needed to do it in a, in a more formalized way. Um, and I wanted to do it in community with other people. And that was really how that started. There was really no other reason for it. And to be honest, I didn't really do a huge deep dive into the CMS either um, or other avenues of, of education. Um, you know, basically at that time, I felt like everybody in my sphere was talking about either, you know, quartermaster sommeliers or WSET. And something about the intensity, I think, of the CMS is what appealed to me. And so that's kind of how that started, was just wanting to get some credentials behind what I was doing and, and uh, really just ramp it up. Were there other channels that you used or other sources of education that you feel helped you as you started to kind of have more of a wine focus? Um, I think I learned very early on in the wine industry that relationships were such a huge part of it. And I always leveraged other people as much as possible. I had really great friends that worked on the distribution side. I had great friends that worked with suppliers and lots of great sort of like mentors and friends that I was able to tap for information and resources and just like reading. I just feel like I was always reading. <laughs> reading and talking to people and, and tasting. tasting. I mean, let's be honest, we were tasting a tasting. lot. <laughs> you were tasting a ton because people come to you in the restaurant every day with try yeah. this, trying to get on your list. I'm sure that happened. Yeah. And, and as things went on to, um, as, as does happen when you, when you, <laughs> When you start to uh, find yourself in a buyer role, um, there are trips and other incentives that are often offered to you. Um, and so I did some great trips with um, uh, the Oregon Pinot Camp in 2018. I went on um, a trip with Skernick to France. Um, yeah, I mean, there were, there were various other trips here and there that I took even with Fifth Group down to Mexico and up to the Berkshires to make our own gin for the opening of Echo Buckhead. So there was just a lot of, there were a lot of other resources that I guess maybe I'm not <laughs> crediting as much, but yeah, the travel was, was good. Travel's pretty key. Travel's pretty priceless for that. What type of things do you learn by going to those places? Like when you'd go on those trips with your clients and things, what do you bring back? Um, for me, it was just really a sense of place. Um, and I think honestly, like, I, I think one of the reasons why I never really pursued continuing on with the quartermaster sommeliers is that sort of the academia side of wine didn't really appeal to me. That's not my strength. Even now, I mean, I struggled with theory then and I'm definitely struggling now as I'm super far away from being in a position of, of uh, managing people in a beverage program. But yeah, it's the people, it's the places, it's the feel. And, and that, that honestly is what I was connected to with wine the food around it, the culture, the history, 
the vines like it's just there's something about the life that exists around wine that is just so exciting and it's been long before any of us so I can hear the way that you talk about wine and just previously interacting with you online you have an immense respect for the land that surrounds the entire process of winemaking and I am now thinking this all makes sense because you're not in Atlanta anymore. We are chatting across multiple time zones here. I hear that you took a giant leap of faith in 2019. Tell me about this. What happened? (laughs) Um, What happened? Well, I, you know, as we touched on, I was working quite a lot in Atlanta. And I would say that that balance in my life had just completely gone away. Um, and I just wasn't feeling connected to the work that I was doing in the way that I felt like I should. And I had been coming out to California um, over multiple trips, um, both for work and for pleasure. And uh, I had come out in, oh gosh, I guess that was 2019 um, in the summer. And I had done a trip by myself. I flew into LA and flew out of San Francisco and took t- 10 days in between. So did the drive up the of- coast? I did, of course, yeah, Um, and sort of fell in love with the Central Coast, which is where the majority of my time has been spent since I've been in California, Um, and I had connected with a winemaker here, Ian Brand. I had been working with his wines through uh, Specialty Wines, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Um, and so I had uh, set up a a tasting at the tasting room, and he just happened to be there that day as the joys of, you know, small business. There was nobody to cover the tasting room. And so he was working and I ended up staying there for quite some time and engaging with him and other people. And when I left and came back home, I think it was within the week, I sent him an email and said, Hey, you know, I think I need to change my life. So, you know, let's keep in touch and let's talk about harvest for next year. I think I'd like to to do that. And he said, I need somebody else for this year. So what do you say? You change your life now. And, um, the timeline was pretty quick. I would say within about a month and a half, I had given notice at Fifth Group. I put my stuff in storage and let go of my apartment and put as much stuff as I could fit in my car in my car and drove to California. And two days later, I showed up at the winery to start working harvest. <laughs> How did that feel? Did you ever have a freak out moment or is that just kind of like an outer body experience when you make that type of decision? Um, (laughs) there's been definitely freak out moments along the way. Um, and there were freak out moments prior. So I don't know how I felt. I just felt like I needed something to change. I don't know if you've ever come to that crossroads in your life where you just feel like nothing is working. And so I just need to start over completely. And so it felt like starting over. And I would say it was pretty incredible, you know, driving out across the country by myself and not really knowing what I was gonna find or even really frankly and now in hindsight not even three years later like I knew nothing I had no idea what I was getting into and most people don't I don't think but it was pretty exhilarating and it felt like a strength that I didn't know that I had but yeah there were freak out moments for sure (laughs) as all strong beautiful decisions have they have a little (laughs) moment of what am I doing so that's okay and that brought you out there what was a typical day like for you then, that first harvest experience? It was pretty intense. Uh, you know, I think that year, 2019, I think he brought in somewhere around like, it was a little over 550 tons of fruit. It was the fast and furious <laughs> look into harvest. And I wasn't doing 
anything on the vineyard side at that point. This was totally production. Um, I was living in Pacific Grove, which was about 45 minutes from the winery in Salinas. So I was working about six days a week, commuting back and forth. Um, and it was a lot of fermentation maintenance. I mean, it was a lot of punch downs and it was a lot of taking bricks and temps and, you know, the basic stuff that you do. And it was also a little bit of uh, like Ian's crew is pretty surly and like they're tough. And, you know, there was a little bit of, of, of kind of like, yeah, like this Psalm probably thinks she knows everything. And so let's break her a little bit. <laughs> so there was a lot of that to deal with. Um, but I actually made two really amazing friends out of it. And one of them is down in LA now, and she and I are, are very close. And then his current cellar master is a good friend of mine. And I'm now only about an hour from the winery uh, where I currently am. And, you know, Anne's been a great resource too, as well as his winemaker there, Ryan Kobza. And uh, I ended up back there uh, this past year for Harvest Again. Um, so I've now done two with them. And I think I finally kind of proved myself in 2019. I was, I was handed over more responsibility, some out of necessity in 2021, but so I, I got to do a lot more, uh, you know, learning how to run the press and finally can say I've got pretty good forklifting skills. So <laughs> not many people can say that. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe not, not, I, I don't know. Talk to some of those warehouse drivers. That's I'm true. sure they've got pretty good forklifts. That's true. Okay. Wholesale for sure. I, I can definitely think that that is <laughs> applicable. So they didn't break you because you kept coming back. So as hard as they may have tried, they did yeah. not break you. Yeah. <laughs> What are the ways that you would say now, looking back at kind of that first initial, like, okay, I packed up my car, we're doing this, you had that first harvest. I know you said that you wanted to change your life. Do you think it did? Do you think that was a point? Did you feel like you were making changes at that point? No. <laughs> it was just so crazy that I didn't even know. I mean, I didn't even know what I was going to do at the end of harvest. I didn't even know where I was going to live. So and then COVID happened pretty quickly after that. So that's, you know, it's so hard to answer that question. My life now is so different from what it was in Atlanta and I feel like a different person. So in hindsight, yes, now I think my life has changed quite a bit, but at that time I couldn't see it. And it's really only been recently that I've really felt where the changes have occurred. But when you kind of throw yourself in like that and, and there was just so much happening from the time that I left, you know, harvest was crazy. And then I had to figure out where I was going to live. And then I ended up in Santa Barbara. And I think I got to Santa Barbara in December of 2019. COVID hit pretty early on in the year. I think it was what, like April that we find, like everything was closed. And I'm like in Santa Barbara, I don't really know anybody, you know, it was just kind of crazy. And then I was, you know, finding work in COVID and, and this past year for me, honestly, has been I, I put, I kind of put all my stuff in my car again in August of 2021 and left Santa Barbara and I've been on the road uh, since then as well. Um, but I finally landed somewhere that I'll be for a while. So it's given me some time to reflect these last couple months. There can't be clarity without reflection. I think you can sit back and go, wow, like you in Atlanta and where you are now, there's going to be some pretty epic moments in your life in that short span of time that brought you to where you are now. So that's going to be cool to reflect on, even if it's not now. But I'm excited for you because you really have made some just incredible changes that a lot of people don't ever think about doing. It's so neat. <laughs> you were in Santa Barbara, though. And what is the wine scene in Santa Barbara like? For us in Atlanta, what do we need to know about Santa Barbara? So it's interesting because... 
if you say Santa Barbara, that means one thing, but if you say Santa Barbara County, that means something else. And Santa Barbara County is gigantic. And so the majority of, you know, the quote unquote wine scene, I think is, is really happening in the Valley, in the San Ynez Valley. And it's quite different from the vibe in Santa Barbara proper. Most of what you'll find in Santa Barbara are tasting rooms that are in what they call the funk zone, which is um, kind of on the outskirts of downtown, close to the beach. Uh, a lot of tasting rooms. I worked for Coon and Wines down there, um, Marjoram Wines, uh, Aubon Climat is not in the funk zone. They're a, a little bit, there's a separate area of Santa Barbara closer into downtown that has some of the other tasting rooms, but it was fun. It was educational. There's a lot of women working in wine there. Um, So that was really exciting. Yeah, a lot of women winemakers. Um, I was really lucky to have connected with both Coonan Wines, which was originally founded by Seth Coonan, who passed in 2017, but has been carried on by his wife, Megan, um, and then also with Angela Osborne at A Tribute to Grace. Um, So I kind of got the best of both worlds while I was there because I was working in Santa, I was working and living in Santa Barbara um, with Coonan Wines, and then also uh, working with A Tribute to Grace out in Los Alamos. So I was able to go back and forth between the Valley and Santa Barbara quite a bit. What kind of wines are in those portfolios? Tell me a little bit about like the styles and what you were working with. Yeah, so um, A Tribute to Grace is uh, is all Grenache production. Angela's done quite a unique thing in her career and decided to focus just on one variety. Um, so she makes pretty much all single vineyard expressions of Grenache from all over California, not just Santa Barbara County, although that is a heavy... Uh, portion of her of her bottlings. Um, and then Kuna Wines is a little bit more focused on Rhone varieties in general. They're quite well known for their Syrahs, but they really are tapped into the entirety of the Santa Barbara County uh, region. Um, and so they are making all kinds of things from Sauvignon Blanc, Viognier, Roussin, to, um, you know, Syrah, Grenache, Cunoise, Carignan, Chenin Blanc. Um, and they're really all about working with some of these more um, established sites in the Santa Barbara County area and trying to make, you know, the, the best expressions from that. But they're well known for their pop star bottling. They're kind of Chateau Neuf de Pop blend. Um, very light, probably like pre-glue glue, like super easy, chill, you know, drinkable reds and whites. And so uh, a lot of the Santa Barbara scene is Rhone varieties and of course Pinot and Chardonnay. But there's a lot of other really fun stuff happening too. A lot of fun stuff. Do you think that those wines are getting to markets in the Southeast like Atlanta? Or what do you see kind of production-wise? Could people seek those out? You know, that's an interesting question because as I got further into working with producers here and now being kind of far away from Atlanta, I didn't see a lot of these wines in the Atlanta market. I was in a different situation though. I mean, working for a a more corporate group like Fifth Group, um, we did probably centralize our buying power around less distribution, whereas other more independent restaurants can kind of, I think, build their program in with less parameters in some ways. And so I don't know what other people were exposed to, but I didn't see a lot of this stuff. In fact, I know that A Tribute to Grace was not in the market when I was there because it was a wine that I tasted sitting around a table um, with a supplier who was actually opening it for a distributor at the time, trying to find placement. And that wine came around the table and I was like, 
holy shit, what is this Grenache? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if I can cuss, but you can because um, with that wine, you you absolutely can. That's a yeah, I reaction. had a major holy shit moment with Angela's Grenache, um, and that's another story. But like I tracked her down at Big Sur Food and Wine Festival when I was working because I heard that she was opening a tasting room. She she opened a tasting room while I was working harvest at Ian's. And so I just kept emailing her and saying, I'm coming down to Santa Barbara. I want to work for you. <laughs> and I think I sent her an email like once a month until she finally responded and was like, okay, like, <laughs> we need to talk. Um, I was going to ask you about that of like how you find out about these opportunities because obviously relationships and it's like friends of friends, but how do you find out and how do you pitch yourself like, hey, I want to come work with you? I can't give away all my secrets. Um, <laughs> Everyone's going to be moving out of Atlanta to come. No, to I'm just kidding. I want everybody <laughs> to find their joy and their success. I am like, yeah, pro that. Um, honestly, like I said, relationships, I just always made sure that I kept really good relationships and, and, and not in a way that's like, you know, not in a way that's like disingenuous or opportunistic, but, you know, people that I really respect and people that I feel like are sort of like ethos align, I keep in touch. I maintain contact. Um, and so I just, I, I don't know that I think that's a skill set I learned in management of just being able to connect the dots. And so, you know, the person that I drank that wine with in Atlanta, I emailed them and said, Hey, like, can you get me in touch with Angela? And I had contacted other people that I knew in the wine industry and said, Hey, I'm going to be in Santa Barbara. Like, who should I work for? I'd really love to work with a woman. And someone had connected me with Megan Coonan and, you know, it just, it just builds from there. Um, and it has continued to build in that way through the connections that I've made in Santa Barbara. So, um, but I'd love to see, it would be great if more of these wines were represented in Atlanta. I feel like Santa Barbara was kind of like not, it, it wasn't as on the radar as I think it is now when I, even in the short amount of time that I was there. And I really think people think about like Pinot and Chardonnay, which of course is an amazing you know, those are amazing expressions of those varieties from especially Santa Rita Hills, but there's just so much other stuff going on and there's so many cool things happening um, in Santa Barbara. So many cool things and so many cool people. So you're building a network now of kind of knowing on the inside of things that are up and coming and projects happening, but you've also worked in a lot of different settings now. Is it tough to learn a new vineyard or do skills transfer from project to project? Um, that's kind of a good question because I, the vineyard work just started this past year for me in August with my time at Shake Ridge and that was just harvest. And so I think that, you know, and maybe people know this, maybe they don't, if you've worked at harvest, you know, is you really come in and there's kind of like one or two, maybe three jobs that you're just doing over and over and over again. Um, and so for me, the skill that I have used most time and time again is kind of more of that soft skill of like being a quiet observer, being a listener. I'm significantly older than most people that are on this trek. Um, so I have a certain like groundedness and maturity, I think that helps me kind of navigate these situations to figure out my place and what I need to do and where I can be of service. And then the rest of it is me just really trying to learn because this is the other side of this world that I haven't been on for very long. So yeah, I don't know if that really answers that question. It does. You're talking about skills of, again, the people, the human factor of wine really seems to be constant throughout a lot of what you've been doing, but you are 
always learning. You cannot pretend that what works in one place or with one production facility is going to work in the other place. And you've worked in a lot of different sites now. So it's kind of fun to be able to be like listening, learning, observing. You also were there during a lot of the fire season and the community I know really comes together during those times, but obviously very scary for for being there and everything kind of is turmoil. What was that like for you when you were experiencing fire risk? So I've been really lucky in many ways. So for 2020, when a lot of the fires, a lot of the fire season, I mean, it's kind of weird. Like when you're over here, I mean, there's just fires everywhere. (laughs) And like, honestly, they're everywhere. And there are certain regions that get more attention some of it has to do with wine and, and agriculture. Some of it is just like size of fire. But the fires that affected Napa and Sonoma in 2020, and I think even Mendocino, I was in Santa Barbara and we had fires, but they weren't to the scale. There was like a couple of vineyards that may have gotten affected, but it wasn't to the scale of what they dealt with up there. So I was kind of lucky in that way to um, bypass a lot of the stress. I was actually really, I had, since COVID had hit, I had been teetering on whether or not to go work harvest up in, um, on the Sonoma coast for 2020. And something just told me to stay put. It was just, we were in COVID and everything was crazy and I had a place to live and I had jobs and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to like chill in Santa Barbara for a minute. But I was affected the most um, in 2021 when I left to go work at Shake Ridge Ranch and the Calder fire had broken out in El Dorado County, um, which was really, really close to the ranch. Um, And so I had to detour for about a week and it was actually really great because I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I just kind of put out a call on Instagram and said, hey, you know, I'm displaced if anybody's like got a place for me to stay. And uh, Drew DiMatteo, who's a friend of mine that I met at a Tribute to Grace tasting room, he said, hey, you know, like, are you near Santa Rosa? And I said, actually, that's kind of the direction that I'm headed. And I got an Airbnb. And he said, like, nonsense, come stay with me. So I stayed with Drew for a week. Um, and he took me in and, and we actually had a really good time. We did like a ton of fun stuff and went to a ton of great places to eat. But, you know, it's yes, the community gathers together. Absolutely. And I haven't been directly impacted heavily by fire. I haven't had to evacuate or do anything like that, but it's also, it's so commonplace too. I mean, there's just, there's fires always and they're all over the state and it's kind of not a matter of if it's just when, and um, yeah, it's, but I do think that the, the wine community does their best to support each other where they can for sure. And having a friend that takes you in and does fun stuff and goes out to eat with you while there's like <laughs> really uncertainty in the air and you still are able to find joy yeah. somewhere, you got to have people like that around. Totally. I mean, and that's, that's honestly, like, I think even if I wanted to quit the wine world, like, I, I just don't know if I can. It's just the community around it in all aspects is so, it's just such a part of my life and it's so great. And there's so many different kinds of people and you just don't find that in other industries. Um, And so, yeah, it was great. I mean, I felt really fortunate. I have my moments where I'm like single lady over here on the other side of the country, no family, you know, very few friends. Um, And when stuff like that happens, you know, my safety net is small. So I was really fortunate that it was someone from the wine community that you know, stepped up to, to help me out. Because wine people are good people. At least that's what I, I think most wine people are good people, or at least it's a common bond in crazy times. At least you can yeah. find that. Okay. So tell me about your current role 
now because I know there's some amazing work happening with you and you're sitting outside and the whole, just the fact that you were able to hop online with me today, given where you are, is pretty cool. So what's going on with you right now? So I've, I've, I've deviated a little bit. Um, I'm at a place called Piscinas Ranch, uh, which is in San Benito County. We're about 20 minutes south of Hollister. Um, so we're like in the, the valley that's just east of the Salinas Valley. And I'm on a 7,600 acre uh, ranch that is being used as sort of a sort of an educational learning center for regenerative farming and holistic management. So of the 7,600 acres that are here, 7,000 of that is actively being grazed. Um, and the owner is doing that in the hopes of regenerating the, the, the native perennial grasslands of this area. Um, and it's all focused around uh, soil health and, you know, soil restoration and carbon sequestration. And Kelly Mulville uh, is the vineyard manager here. Right now, there's 12 and a half acres planted uh, in phase one. Phase two is another 12 and a half acres that will be grafted next month. And I am here as part of the viticultural team as an intern uh, working the season. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's getting you real close to the vines, Erin. Now you're like real in it. So what kind of work does that entail? You say the viticulture team. What are you doing like in the morning? What's it like? What's your day now? Um, well, literally for the last month, pretty much since I've been here, it's been pruning. Yeah. And they've been getting really late frosts here in May, uh, usually two to three frosts in May. And so Kelly wanted to delay pruning as much as possible to try to delay bud break as much as possible, um, which worked up until a couple weeks ago when things really started to bud out. And so we were sort of really just trying to finish pruning and, you know, training vines while, um, you have buds that are like leafing out is, is kind of scary. Um, but the vines here, it differs from the traditional um, VSP trellis system. It's uh, Watson, um, so it's a high trellis system. And so we are training vines up to a cordon wire that's uh, about anywhere from 62 to 66 inches high. Um, so, you know, you're looking at head height um, for where grape production is going to happen. So it takes a bit longer to get those vines trained. So depending on where we are in the 12 and a half acres, some of those are still being trunked. So we're basically cutting back to, to two buds. Some of them are starting to develop their arms. And so we're figuring that out and getting that stuff tied down. And then some of them have full cordons um, that we're spur printing. Yeah, so it's a lot of, right now it's been a lot of printing, but there's other stuff going on here. I mean, yesterday I helped, I helped load like 80 something sheep onto a trailer for someone who came to buy sheep and then they didn't they couldn't fit all the sheep on the trailer so that there was like 30 that were left over that we had to load on another trailer and bring them out to the rangeland and um there's all kinds of really interesting groups coming through here um people like the just economy who is helping um essentially people who want to use their capital to invest in social cultural and climate change work there is uh another group that came here the california farm link they kind of do the same thing but more localized and they help bring support to farmers to come up with plans for what's going to happen to their land um financial assistance financial assistance for young farmers they're interested in land equity um food justice. So there's just a lot of stuff happening here. <laughs> and because it's a learning center, even though I am part of the actual working labor crew for the vineyard, 
they are really open to um, participation and other things going on on the ranch. Um, in a couple of weeks, I'm actually going to participate in a full day uh, workshop with the Central Coast Rangeland, which is basically going to be a bunch of cattle farmers <laughs> from the Central Coast talking about like how to, what we can do for the future to, it's essentially holistic management, but um, you know, to, to basically restore these lands. And that was a huge reason why I chose to come here and maybe not a more traditional vineyard site because I'm really interested in the other work that's happening. And I'm really interested in how that work might start to bump into the wine industry a bit and rethink what land ownership looks like for grape growers and winemakers and what are other things that can be done with the land besides growing grapes. Well, I was just going to ask you how this all ties into what you hope for the future for the wine industry, what you're learning now, and then what excites you about possibilities of how that could translate to what you know is happening in wine. It's like the question. Right it now. is. It yeah. is the big question, but I feel like yeah. you're the person to ask. Well, and just for me, it's my it's my question because I, I'm not sure yet. I'm just not sure how it's all going to line up, but we have to do something different. There's a lot of farm land that's going to be changing hands in the next few years to decade. I know that I'm, I'm a natural at connecting people and things and ideas together and management and sort of these like long-term practices or something that the agricultural world struggles with a bit. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to fall in it all and how it's all going to look, but I think that there's so much opportunity for the wine industry specifically, you know, wine is like this, um, as you know, one of the guys that's here um, on the team will say like, wine's just kind of the avatar to like talk about this greater thing that's going on. And wine's always talked about land and people. And right now, we're talking about how to get more people to land and how to farm it better and how to combat climate change and things like that. Um, so I don't know how it's all going to look and how it's all going to play out and, and how, where I am specifically now, what that's going to, you know, how that's going to shape my future, but stay tuned. I don't know. I'll let you know. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. I'm like, yep. I want updates, Erin, all the time. And also I want sheep updates. You can post about that. That would be great too. See, it's a, it's an ecosystem. And I believe in that a hundred percent. I wonder what you would say to people who are academically studying wine, you know, here in Atlanta, I'm in a, we're just one of several tasting groups and we're really studying blind tasting from a very academic approach to wine. But what would you say to people that want to learn more about the farming and kind of the trends that are happening? What would what would be some advice for wine students to get more connected to the farming side? That's a really great question because that was something that I felt like was really lacking for me and why I felt like I needed to kind of make this jump. You know, they're not the best at responding, but like reach out to the viticulturists, reach out to the people who are farming and managing the vineyards and ask to talk to them and say like, hey, can you t tell me about like how you're farming these vineyards and, you know, do you can find information out about, you know, whether people are like, are they all a state or are they sourcing from other places? Where are they sourcing from? you know, you can find out who's managing those vineyards. Um, and I also think that what I would like to see too is, is and I, I believe there's a place for all wine, but it would be interesting to see the Atlanta community specifically look deeper into the practices of the people that they support. And I'm not necessarily talking about their winemaking practices as much as I'm talking about like their employment practices, their um, community practices and what they are doing. 
um, in those respects. So I've always been, you know, you asked me the question before, like, how do I find out about these opportunities? How do I just ask? There are so many times where I get a job or someone is like, you'd be surprised at how few people actually email us or, you know, there's a lot of interested things, but people don't actually think that they can just reach out to somebody and you can. And in fact, it's usually the people who do take that leap that get noticed or get spoken to because there's so few people who do think to question. And, and I say this with all my, my deep love and admiration for my very dear friends, you know, who work on the sales side, but like, they're selling a lot of different stuff for a lot of different people. They just can't know everything. And I think they tell you the best they can, but they are also just people keeping a lot of information in their brains. And sometimes they get it wrong. And sometimes they don't know. And so just like go to the source. That's that's what I think. Or, you know, as a consumer, it's such great advice, Erin, is question it. Because a lot of people question it with food or what they're buying and other things or where their stuff is coming from, where it's shipping from, you know, stuff like that. So why not question it for yourself when you're at a winery? Like ask who takes care of the vineyards. I mean, why not? Like we can have those yeah. conversations. Yeah, totally. And you can ask about the farming and you can ask about practices. And and what I would say is that if people are not willing to be transparent with you about those things, then that probably tells you what you need to know. Well said. If we want to go deeper in wine and if find, deeper, yeah, yeah, if you if you want to have that connection to the farming side, it's out there if you seek it. It's yeah. not uh, unattainable that we can learn about these things uh, while we're studying wine as a whole. So I love that advice. Do you miss Atlanta? Do you come back? Are you going to come back? Um, I have been back to Atlanta several times um, since I left and there are some things I miss about Atlanta for sure. Um, I, I love being out here. It's a totally different world. It is amazing how differently people live from place to place. And even though we're all the same in many ways, we're all living these very different lives depending on where you are and, and the immediate um, issues in those areas. But I do miss having a really core group of people. Um, and I do miss the diversity of Atlanta. That is one thing that I think Atlanta has going for it, especially in terms of the wine industry, is an incredible amount of diversity and a lot of different voices being heard and speaking up and a lot of openness to, 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 to welcome people in. I can't say it was always like that, but it is now. And I think that's great. So I do miss that aspect of Atlanta a lot. Well, when you come back, again, we will drink some good stuff and we will welcome you back because I know you still have a ton of friends here. Are you drinking wine on the ranch right now? <laughs> well, right now I'm drinking tea, which is usually my go-to, um, but I took a big trip. Um, I was working in the Columbia River Gorge uh, before I came down here, and so I kind of took a trip through Oregon. So I grabbed some stuff from the gorge and some different places. So the majority of what is in my room right now is from Irie Vineyards, which is I can pretty much confidently say is probably my favorite American producer. I love those wines. So I've been drinking Irie. I've been drinking some stuff from Scar of the Sea down in San Luis Obispo, Slow County now. Yeah, that's that's probably the majority of what's in there. And then some other little odds and ends that, you know, people have always asked me like the question of like, what's my go-to or like, what's what variety am I drinking? I'm like, I'm all over the place with wine all the time. Like, I just want for me, it's really about the people and the places. That's what speaks to me. So that's usually what I'll go towards or sparkling wine. <laughs> I'm not surprised for one second. People that love wine and live in wine like you do, like living in the land of wine, you probably just enjoy trying anything and everything. So I am not surprised for one second. 
Yeah, no, totally. I'm into it. But I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I, I was consuming more wine than beer these days. So I, I <laughs> when you spend all day printing outside, like opening a bottle of, you know, Syrah just doesn't sound as good as a Pacifico. <laughs> the beer after a long day, beer after my taxes. That's what I did this year. Long day, it's beer or scotch. So I can get I can totally get into that. I love it. You are doing such great things out there. If people want to learn more about you or connect with you, what's the best way to find you? We're all on Instagram, right? So um, you can hit me up on Instagram. My What is my thing? It's Mason Hearts and Jars. Um, and my email is aaron.a.mason at gmail.com. Um, so hit me up. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to see what you do next. I know you gave us a little stay tuned. I don't know how this is all going to come together, but <laughs> I think given the big moments in your life where you've had a chance to do something and just kind of dive all in, you made it happen. So whatever the next chapter is, it's going to be exciting and I can't wait to see what it is. I hope so. Thank you. Thanks for having me and breaking my podcast bubbles. Well, remember <laughs> me when you like do a bunch of like really, really big ones, like I picked you first. Okay. Like, remember that. <laughs> I will definitely give you credit for sure. <laughs> it's been so much fun to chat with you. Thank you for sharing your insights and enjoy this crazy adventure. I'm so excited for you. Thanks. You too. Enjoy Atlanta spring. I'm jealous. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at, at A Cork in the Road on Instagram and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers.